Welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host, Cody Mori. And today I want to do a unofficial part two of the hidden faith of the founders. And I'm not going to talk so much about some of the things they said, though I will mention one thing uh, towards the end here. But I do want to point out the miracles that God performed on behalf of the United States. And the reason I want to do this is for the same reason as before. The There's so many voices out there that it can get confusing. And I just want to, the reason most importantly I want to do this is because it's important to me to have a, an accurate and true understanding of history. Now a lot of people can see that Freemasonry, while I would never say it was a good thing, it wasn't. It was just really a club to begin with. It was a guild at first, the Stonemasons. Then it was, you know, it had aristocrats joining it later, and then later on, after that, after the Illuminati influence, as we saw with the letter between G.W. Snyder and George Washington, who the Spirit of Prophecy says was a man of firm will and moral power, not an occultist or a Luciferian. So. We see that after that point, the, the infiltration of the Illuminati, which we understand to be the Jesuit order, because they're the ones who created it, when they infiltrated into Freemasonry, they changed it from within and made it into an evil thing. Freemasonry in the 1600s is not the same thing as Freemasonry in the 1800s. And Freemasonry in the 1800s is not the same thing as Freemasonry today. It spiraled more and more out of control. It's gotten darker and darker and more based in witchcraft and Gnosticism and Kabbalah uh, and stuff like that. Whereas in, before, it really just began as a, a guild of actual Mason stoneworkers. So that's why a lot of, a lot of researchers who research this, including Chris Pinto, uh, who did the Hidden Faith of the Founding Fathers, and he also did the True Christian History of America, doesn't really have a problem with a lot of the founders being Freemasons because at that time they hadn't it hadn't spiraled down into the dark satanic corner that it is now and this was before Albert G Mackey this is before Albert Pike this is before um, some of the other great figures in masonry that have pointed to its witchcraft. There wasn't an Aleister Crowley at this time. So that's why, if you, and it, it's important to remember with, with Albert Pike especially, Albert Pike, he was, he was a Confederate general, low-ranking general in the Confederacy. And he, he established the rites and the initiations and the ceremonies uh, with Scottish Rite Freemasonry here in the United States. So that's in the 1870s. His book, Morals and Dogma, came out in 1871, so almost 100 years, about 100 years after the American Revolution started. So it's it's important to understand that because if you, if you don't understand the American Revolution, you're not going to have a full picture of prophecy, and you're not going to have a full appreciation of, for what God has done for this country in the past. This country was raised up for a specific purpose. There's a reason why the Millerite movement was here in the United States, because God was pleading with this country in particular 
That's why he raised up William Miller. That's why he raised up James and Ellen White. Because in this country in particular, he was, try he was pleading with them, like he would with Jerusalem in the past, that that they would turn back to him. And unfortunately, they didn't. They rejected the message. In 1844, the Protestant churches fell. They rejected the message of the second coming. They rejected the, the first angel's message. And from there on out, they've spiraled and spiraled and spiraled until we have what is really full-blown apostasy in Adventism today. And I wanted to start off with a quote from the Spirit of Prophecy. This is from Signs of the Times, November 1st, 1899. And it paints a picture of what the United States was like before uh, before this, this dragon speak, which is very common that we see today. And it says this, The two horns, like a lamb, well represent the character of the United States government, as expressed in its two fundamental principles, republicanism and protestantism these principles are the secret of her power and prosperity as a nation those who first found an asylum on the shores of america rejoiced that they had reached a country free from the arrogant claims of popery and the tyranny of kingly rule they determined to establish a government upon the broad foundation of civil and religious liberty but the stern tracing of prophetic pencil reveals a change in this peaceful scene. So you got to understand there, Mrs. White says there's a change in this peaceful scene. So it wasn't evil to begin with, and it wasn't God overpowering free will. God doesn't do that. He doesn't overpower. There's not one example where he overpowers somebody's free will to do something good. He always pleads with people, even Cyrus, as I mentioned last time. Michael had to come down from heaven. Who's Jesus? He is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ came down to convince Cyrus to allow the Jews to go back and start rebuilding Jerusalem. So God never violates free will. That would be the ends justify the means. And that is not a principle that God has. That's a principle of the devil. So when it says here, that this country was founded upon Protestantism. It, they mean it. The Holy Spirit means it when he says this was founded on Republicanism and Protestantism and that these principles are the secret of their power and prosperity. It's also true to note that this sentence here, it says, but the stern tracing of prophetic pencil reveals a change in this peaceful scene. So, it was good in the beginning, but it changes. And of course, we're seeing that change. We've seen it change even from what what evil it already was when each and every one of us were born, regardless of which time you were born. In this generation, anybody's still alive. If you were born, you were born at a time that where the the, the country has been spinning out of control since the 1800s. Easy. And even in our own lifetimes, we've seen, you know, you compare, you think back to the 90s, for instance, and you think, wow, what a moral time. Yeah, only compared to now, but not compared to the Ten Commandments. That's all been evil, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, and we're seeing that right before our eyes. So the peaceful scene changes, like the Holy Spirit says here. 
She goes on, says, The beast with the lamb-like horns speaks with the voice of a dragon and exercises all the first beast, all the power of the first beast before him. So eventually we will see the setting up of the image of the beast, which Mrs. White makes very, very clear in the Great Controversy, that the setting up of the image of the beast does, does not take place until the enforcement of Sunday observance. So that is when the image of the beast is set up. It's not some something that's going to happen in the shadows. It's not something that you have to do all this research and find this person and this tracing, this to that in church and states. No, it's, it's going to be very clear to everybody when this takes place. So the image of the beast, once that takes place, then it is, it is set up and the full, the full transformation of the lamb-like beast into the speaking of like a dragon will take place. So I want to mention a few miracles, and there are many, but I want to mention a few miracles from the American Revolution, which, which in my opinion, uh, gives great glory to God and shows that he's had his hand over over the United States of America and that they were they were raised up for a specific purpose. This is from an article I found online. Actually, most of the most of the quotes I'll be reading are from this article, but he's done a lot of research in here and left a lot of uh, a lot of sourcing and citation. Uh, the article is done by Douglas S. Winall. It was done in July, August of 2017. In an article titled "The Miracles of the American Revolution," and in his in his article, it's actually on a website called tomorrowsworld.org. Tomorrowsworld.org. So that's where that article is if you want to read it yourself. But the first miracle takes place way before the revolution even existed. This is the miracle on George Washington's behalf during the French and Indian War, which if those of you who don't know, the French and Indian War, or the Seven Years War as it's called, that was a world war between France and Britain, and France lost. So that's that actually kind of paved the way for why France wanted to intervene when the colonies began to rebel against Great Britain. So this is from that article, it states this, in 1755, during the French and Indian War, 23-year-old Colonel Washington was one of 1,400 British troops under the command of General Braddock marching to capture Fort Duquesne near Pittsburgh when they were attacked by a French and Indian force. During the battle, Braddock was killed and every officer on horseback was shot except Washington. The young colonel later wrote to his brother, But by the all-powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation. For I had four bullets in my coat, and two horses shot under me, yet escaped unhurt. Although death was leveling my companions on every side of me, a Native American who fought in the in the battle later stated Washington was never born to be killed by a bullet I had 17 fair fires at him with my rifle and after all could not bring him to the ground that's from a book called miracles in American history by William Federer page 17 through 19 
So George Washington's on the march here, and eventually he's captured. They lose this battle. So eventually he's captured, right? But they keep firing at him and firing at him and firing at him. He's got all these holes in his jacket, and yet he doesn't go down. Why? Because God performed a miracle on his behalf and protected him. And he protected him for a reason, because he would end up being the, the needed, level-headed man of firm will and moral power that this country needed as their general and then later as their first president, and arguably the best president we've ever had. The next one comes from, and this is, not, this is something that we've seen God do on a number of occasions. There were storms, the storms against the British uh, naval forces. This happened in the War of 1812 as well. This also happened, obviously, that we're going to talk about here in the American Revolution. But it's also taken place uh, on Britain's behalf during the reign of, for instance, Queen Elizabeth, when the Spanish Armada came to attack the, the tiny little island uh, country of England and most of their most of their the great Spanish Armada was just second to none in Europe and it was it was destroyed it was completely destroyed not completely most of it was destroyed over over three-fourths of it I believe and the rest of the ships they were so large that when they got into the English Channel they couldn't maneuver as well so the British smaller forces, their smaller ships, they had schooners versus the frigates. The schooners are a much smaller ship. They were able to maneuver better, and they were able to maneuver out of the cannon fire of the large Spanish ships, and they were able to defeat them. Francis Drake uh, was the hero of a lot of these naval battles there. And after that period, it was Great Britain that became the mistress of the seas they they became the true naval power in the world well the same thing happens to them later when they try to attack the united states or at this time the colonies and again this is from the same article it says this years later during the early spring of 1776 with the british in control of boston washington ordered cannons brought through the snow from Fort Ticonderoga, some 300 miles away, to fortify Dorchester Heights overlooking Boston Harbor. Seeing danger, British General Howe ordered an amphibious assault on the American position. However, the night before the assault was to begin, a hurricane or terrible storm, a southeaster of gale proportions, hit the Boston area and disrupted Howe's plans. He called off his attack on the American position due to the badness of the weather. As a result of the sudden storm and strength of the American position commanding movement in and out of Boston Harbor, General Howe ordered the British troops to evacuate Boston. And you can see that from a book called The Weather Factor, in Ludlam, page 33 and 34. Washington again wrote to his brother, this remarkable interposition of providence is for some wise purpose, I have no doubt. And again, that's Miracles in American History, page 41, that's being quoted uh, on the Washington quote. And this is not the first time that the Lord has used 
uh, weather as well. As I said, it also happened in the War of 1812. In the War of 1812, I don't know if many people know this, but the British actually took Washington, D.C. They, they took over the White House. They burned it to the ground, and they, they started to party that night. Well, while they were partying, a great hurricane came through that area. And anybody who lives in the United States knows that that area is not known to have massive hurricanes hit it. it it's, it's usually it's in, the, it's in more New England area and down in Florida, that, and sometimes Texas as well, that most of the hurricanes, at least on the East Coast, uh, take place. So it's a very rare thing, but it happened. A hurricane, a hurricane hit the Washington, D.C. area and destroyed most of the, the supplies and things that they had, the British, because they were so busy getting drunk at the time, they didn't know how to react. A lot of their gunpowder was just ruined. It was unusable because it became extremely wet. And they had to evacuate out of the area. So it's very interesting. It's not the first time God has used weather for that occasion. But next, we have the fog of 1776. Remember, 1776 is when the war begins. So it could have been, it could, it's one of those things where this war could have ended very, very quickly had the British came and just stomped it out. Uh, but that wasn't the case. And again, from the same article, it says, In the summer of 1776, General Howe had a British force of more than 400 ships and 32,000 troops stationed around Staten Island in New York Harbor. George Washington gathered about 8,000 American troops to Brooklyn Heights on the western edge of Long Island. The British were able to land about 15,000 troops behind Washington's lines and inflict heavy losses on the Americans, who were encircled on Brooklyn Heights with their backs to the East River. However, the weather again proved to be a deciding factor. Strong winds, an ebbing tide, and incessant rain kept the British from further attacks on the American position and from moving their warships into the East River to cut off an escape route. Washington, realizing the danger of his position, ordered a nighttime evacuation of Long Island. That evening, at about 11 p.m., the wind died down and a thick fog developed, shrouding the American evacuation. When the fog lifted later the next morning, the British were surprised to find that the American soldiers were nowhere to be found. And that's from a book, Seven Miracles That Saved America, page 9 and 10. One American soldier wrote, Providentially for us, a great fog arose which prevented the enemy from seeing our retreat. The outcome of this battle uh, that was that has been described as so astonishing that many, including George General Washington, attributed the safe retreat of the American army to the hand of God. If the wind, rain, and the fog termed the heavenly messenger had not intervened for the Americans, they would have been captured, Washington would have been hanged, and the revolution would have come to an early end. So once again, you see the Lord working on behalf of the American colonies. Later on, you have the victory in Trenton that took place on Christmas Day against the, the Hessian shoulder, uh, mercenary soldiers. And 
that was that was an amazing thing as well. It says this in December 1776 with morale low and the American army dwindling to about 2000 at Valley Forge, another miracle took place there as well, the survival of that. Washington decided to cross the ice-filled Delaware River and launch a surprise attack on the British in Trenton, New Jersey. The Americans attacked at sunrise on December 26th during a driving snowstorm with the wind at their backs and blowing into the faces of mercenary Hessian troops who had been celebrating Christmas the day before. In less than an hour, the Americans captured nearly a thousand Hessians and lost only a few men. Artillery officer Henry Knox wrote of the victory at Trenton, Providence seems to have smiled on every part of this enterprise. From America's Providential History, page 161 and 162 for the Henry Knox quote. Now later on, another miracle takes place at Cowpens. Cowpens and then later Yorktown. And it states this, in January 1781, American General Daniel Morgan defeated an advancing British force under General Cornwallis at the Battle of Cowpens in South Carolina in what has been called a tactical masterpiece and turning point of the war. After the battle, Morgan retreated north, chased by the British. Cornwallis reached the Catawba River only hours after the Americans had crossed, but a sudden storm made the river impossible. impassable. The British nearly overtook the Americans at the Yadkin River, but again rains flooded the river, slowing the British, and another flash flood blocked the British. At the Dan River, allowing the Americans to cross into friendly territory in Virginia, British General Henry Clinton described these events as follows. Here the Royal Army was again stopped by a sudden rise of waters which had only just fallen, almost miraculously, to let the enemy over. George Washington wrote in March 1781, We have abundant reason to thank Providence for its many favorable interpositions in our behalf. It has, at times, been my only dependence, for all other resources seem to have failed us. The culminating battles of the Revolutionary War were also decisively influenced by the weather. In October of 1781, an inconclusive engagement between the French and the British fleets in the Atlantic, prolonged by shifting winds, allowed another squadron of French ships with troops and supplies to slip into the Chesapeake Bay, preventing British supply ships from reaching Cornwallis, who was surrounded by 17,000 French and American troops in Yorktown. Facing overwhelming odds, Cornwallis attempted a nighttime breakout by starting a ferry to ferry his regular troops across the York River. The first group made it safely across the river. However, a sudden and severe rain squall blew the second contingent of soldiers downriver, leaving Cornwallis with a much reduced force. This sudden adverse turn of the weather completely disrupted the attempted breakout, and as a British colonel commented, thus expired the last hope of the British army. Cornwallis surrendered the next day, while a British military band played, the world turned upside down. The American victory at Yorktown has been called one of the most influential battles in history, as it ended an eight-year struggle for independence and launched America on a path 
be to becoming a world power. And it was aided by a sudden and dramatic change in weather. After the pivotal Battle of Yorktown, Yale President Ezra Stiles wrote, Who but God could have ordained the critical arrival of the Gaelic or French fleet so as to assist in the siege of Yorktown? Several years later, George Washington wrote, It will not be believed that such a force of as J Great Britain has employed for eight years in this country could be baffled in their plan of subjugating it. The singular interpositions of providence in our feeble condition were such as could scarcely escape the attention of the most unobserving, while the perseverance of the armies of the United States through almost every possible suffering and discouragement for the space of eight years long was little short of a standing miracle. Yet the critical role of divine intervention is seldom mentioned today. And lastly, folks, lastly, I want to point out, I want to point out that the Constitutional Convention, unlike, completely unlike, and I think one of the reasons I'm making this point so much, is that you, we're, we're right off at the heels of looking at uh, a four-part miniseries on the French Revolution, and the bloodbath, and the chopping people to pieces, and putting their heads on pikes, and 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 mob mentality and mob rule those those characteristics you don't see them you don't see them in the american revolution you see god intervening on the american colonies behalf uh, over and over and over again in fact the continental congress called for 15 no less than 15 separate days at different times throughout the revolution Days of fasting and prayer and repentance. One of them was December 11th, which was considered, which was called by the Continental Congress for the people to have a day of fasting and repentance. This is not the type of, this is not the type of attitude you see in the French Revolution. You see a rejection of God. You don't see an embrace of him. So it's interesting to note here that while the French not at this time, but later on, the French, when they came up with their many constitutions that they came up with, they did it through the basis of reason and human intellect and human power alone. Whereas we're going to see here that the American Constitutional Congress, the Congress or the, the Constitution of the United States began with prayer to God for help. And this prayer was asked, it was called, the call to prayer was given by uh, Benjamin Franklin, of all people. So it's very interesting to note, you know, when you look at these people's lives, you look at them before, during, and after the revolution. And there's, there's no question that, that Benjamin Franklin uh, clearly had some issues. Again, I'll say he was part of the Hellfire Club in Europe. He was, he was a womanizer and things like that. But what was he like during the revolution? Was, was there a time when he, he put his hand to the plow where he before he perhaps walked away from the faith? Is that the case with Jefferson as well? Or was he like Solomon? Did he come back in the end somehow? We, we don't really know the answers to those questions. and We're not supposed to judge before the time. But I will note that this did take place. And it did take place by the hand of Benjamin Franklin. 
So as they're, as they're having the Constitutional Congress, Benjamin Franklin gives a call to prayer, and this is what he says. And I want you to notice how well this man knows his Bible. It says this, In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of dangers, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire, that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests, our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter, from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. So quite interesting there. It doesn't sound like a deist or an atheist or an occultist to me. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not vouching for Benjamin Franklin, but clearly a deist is somebody who believes that God is like a clockmaker and he, he created the world and he created everything in it. And then like a clockmaker sets the watch, he leaves the watch and lets it just click away and steps away. This is a man who's, who's mentioning scripture in a number of places. And he also talks about how God notices when the sparrow falls straight from scripture. That shows that Benjamin Franklin's understanding of God is not that he's a clockmaker God who walked away, but that he's somebody who is very uh, involved in the affairs of each and every human being. And that's the truth. That's the truth about about this uh, about our history, uh, about the American history for those who aren't in the United States. And Benjamin Franklin closes with this, and I will close as well. It says, "I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the insistent the assistance of heaven." And its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. And that one or more of the clergy of the city be requested to officiate in that service. And from that point on, every Congress began meeting. They began it with a prayer. So again, this country had its, its hand on 
on God, and God had his hand on this country. And you think about what's going on with the Jesuits at this time. They're exiled from all these countries. They're going underground. They're go they're diving into the secret societies. They're just now, they're not working out in the open. And they're not, they're not organized. They're on the back foot because they've been pushed out by all these countries. And even the even the Pope himself has abolished the order. God, God planned a perfect time for this country to rise, and he planned for this country to have liberty of conscience and freedom of religion so that people living here could give the message of truth to the world because we are free to do it. And we, right now, partially are still free to do that, much more than any other country, I would say. So each and every person we have, especially here, living here in the United States, we have a a mission to give this third angel's message. So I think truth is important. I think history is important because if we don't know history, we're doomed to repeat it. And I also think that what God did in, in having his hand over this country and what God did through uh, these, these men in this country, that all glory goes to him in the end and that he should be thanked so greatly for the many blessings and many miracles that he has had on our behalf. And that's about it for time. I'm Cody Moore. You've been listening to Truth Triumphant Radio, and we will catch you next time. God bless.